This is a recording of We Are a Remnant of the Seed of Joseph, Moroni's interpretive use of Joseph's coat and the martial nace imagery of Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, by Matthew L. Bowen, published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint faith and scholarship, read by Victor Worth. Abstract. Genesis 30, 23-24 offers a double etiology for Joseph in terms of taking away, gathering, asap, and adding, yasap. In addition to its later narratological use of the foregoing, the Joseph cycle, Genesis 37-50, evidences a third dimension of onomastic wordplay involving Joseph's keternet pasim, an uncertain phrase traditionally translated coat of many colors, from the Septuagint, but perhaps better translated, coat of manifold pieces. Moroni I, quoting from a longer version of the Joseph story from the Brass Plates, refers to, quote, Joseph whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces, Alma 46.23. As a military and spiritual leader, Moroni twice uses Joseph's torn coat and the remnant doctrine from Jacob's prophecy regarding Joseph's coat as a model for his covenant use of his own coat to gather, cf. Asap, and rally faithful Nephites as, quote, a remnant of the seed of Joseph, Alma 46, 12 through 28 and 31, and 62, 4 through 6. In putting that coat on a pole or standard, Hebrew nath, i.e. ensign, to gather a remnant of the seed of Joseph, appears to make use of the Isaiahic nace imagery of Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, and elsewhere, where the Joseph-connected verbs yasap and asap serve as key terms. Moroni's written-upon standard, or ensign, for gathering the remnant of the seed of Joseph, constituted an important prophetic antitype for how Mormon and his son, Moroni II, perceived the function of their written record in the latter days. See e.g. 3 Nephi 5, 23-26, and Ether 13, 1-13. The biography of Joseph, the biblical patriarch, surfaces in intriguing ways throughout the Book of Mormon, attesting its importance among the Nephites throughout their entire existence. For example, at the beginning of Nephite history, Nephi uses Joseph's name and biography as a literary means of framing his own familial role and his brother's abusive treatment of him e.g., and they hated him yet the more, Wayosipu owed, Genesis 37, 5 and 8, equivalent to, their anger did increase, Yasap, against me, 2 Nephi 5, 2. At the very end of Nephite civilization, in his abridged book of Ether, Moroni II, son of Mormon, makes Joseph's name, his bringing his father down into Egypt, and his consequent preservation of his father, a type for the preservation of, quote, a remnant of the seed of Joseph, close quote, the building again, cf. Yosip, of the Jerusalem of old, the building of a new Jerusalem, which would be a, quote, holy city unto the Lord, like unto the Jerusalem of old, close quote, and the promise that both, quote, shall no more be confounded, Ether 13, 1-13. Moroni returns to this promise at the very conclusion of the Book of Mormon, see Moroni 10.31. John Tvetness has keenly observed that the use of the remnant, se'erit, idiom, in Ether 13.7 very closely matches the function of the idiom in Genesis 45.7 in the Joseph cycle. Quote, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity, se'erit, literally remnant, in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance, close quote. In other words, Joseph's removal to Egypt provided a typological preservation of the remnant of Israel, not merely the preserving of a posterity as rendered in the KJV. Tvetness writes, quote, The Genesis passage is particularly interesting because of its subtle yet telling contextual affinity to the way the Book of Mormon typically uses the expression remnant of Joseph. In both cases, the expression appears in contexts that imply or directly convey the idea of being sent to another land in order to be preserved. Quote. In view of Tvedna's observation, we also recall the iterative use of the Hebraistic Yosip, do again idiom, in Zenos's allegory to describe the preservation of the natural fruit. Although Jacob 5 does not use the word remnant, the conjunction of Moroni II's Joseph-Yosip wordplay 
with his allusion to preserving a posterity or remnants, erit, from Genesis 45.7 in Ether 13 becomes all the more striking. Tvetnes further notes that the preservation of a remnant, idiom, Hebrew se'erit se'ar, conveys a similar notion of preservation in Alma 46. See especially verses 23 through 27. In the following article, I propose that another significant use of Joseph's biography that, like Ether 13, manifests a consciousness of the Genesis wordplay on Joseph, occurs in Mormon's account of the lengthy war between the Nephites led by Moroni I, the namesake of Mormon's son Moroni II, and the Lamanites led by Amalickiah and later Amoron, his brother. In that account, Mormon preserves a covenant speech by Moroni I, in which the latter uses the patriarch Joseph's rent coat as an antitype for his own rent coat of his people's rent garments, and, citing the patriarch Jacob's lost prophetic words, of the preservation of, quote, a remnant of the seed of Joseph, close quote, a remnant of which the Nephites and Lamanites constituted a part. In later years, Mormon recognized that Joseph's coat, having been, quote, rent by his brethren, close quote, and Moroni I's prophecies regarding his people's garments being rent by our brethren, Alma 46.23, came to ironic fulfillment when he saw his own people being rent by their brethren, e.g. Mormon 6. Moreover, I attempt to show that, in addition to the important biblical wordplay on Joseph's name in terms of the verb asap, gather, bring in, receive, withdraw, take away, and yasap, add, continue to do, do again, more. A third type of wordplay involving the rare and opaque Hebrew word pasim links Joseph to his unique coat, the remnant of which becomes a metonym for his posterity. Traditionally, pasim has been interpreted as many colors, in coat of many colors, but perhaps suggesting, quote, a garment reaching to the wrists or ankles on the basis of Aramaic pas, palm of the hand or sole of the foot, cf. the Septuagint, and hereafter LXX, reading Keton Karpotos, Vulgate Talari Tunica, 2 Samuel 13, 18-19, or on the basis of Aramaic pas, part, share, lot, i.e. a piece, and Phoenician P.S., tablet, piece, rather a garment made of pieces or material sewn together. On this paranomastic basis, the remnant of Joseph's coat becomes a natural metonymy for the, quote, remnant of the seed of Joseph, or the remnant of Joseph. Moreover, when Moroni I fastens his own rent and overwritten coat on a pole later called a standard, i.e. an ensign, he taps into the emotive nace imagery of Isaiah 11, 11 through 12. The latter text describes the Lord's use of a nace, ensign, or standard, as a means of assembling or gathering the remnant of his people. Moroni, in fact, uses a standard or ensign to gather a, quote, remnant of the seed of Joseph, close quote, for the existential preservation of the Nephite nation. Mormon recognized that this written-upon standard or ensign, Alma 46.12-28, constituted something of an antitype of his own abridged record, which would be used as a kind of ensign to gather a remnant of the seed of Joseph, 3 Nephi 5.21-26. Joseph's Keternet Pasim Understanding the name Joseph as a symbol of divine gathering and iterative or resumptive divine action, begins in the Genesis pericope that describes the births of Jacob's sons, Genesis 29-30. That pericope offers a double etiology for the name Joseph in a chiastic structure. A. And she conceived and bare a son, then. B. And said, God hath taken away, a sop gathered up, my reproach. C. And she called his name Joseph, Yosep. B. Prime and said, The Lord shall add, Yosep, or may Yahweh add, to me. A prime, another son, Ben, i.e. Benjamin. Genesis 30, 23-24 The central sea element with the name Joseph divides the somewhat antonymic dual etymologies in B and B prime. The another son in A prime anticipates Benjamin, the last of Jacob's sons. 
Elements of both etiologies find expression throughout the Joseph cycle, Genesis 37 through 50. Word play on Joseph in terms of Asab recurs in the following passages. Genesis 42:17-18, And he put them all together, gathered them, Waya Esop Otam, into ward three days. And Joseph, Yosep, said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. Genesis 49:29, And Jacob said unto them, i.e. Joseph and his brothers, I am to be gathered, ne Esop, unto my people. Genesis 49, 33-51 Jacob gathered up, Waya Esop, his feet into the bed, and was gathered, Waya Asep, unto his people, i.e. in the spirit world. And Joseph, Yosep, fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. These Asop word plays anticipate Moses' gathering of the elders of Israel in Exodus. See further Exodus 3.16, 429 CF Isaiah 49.5. In terms of the second etiology, wordplay on Yasap first resumes early in the Joseph cycle, twice in Genesis 37, 5 and 8. And they hated him yet the more. Wayosipu owed. The next recurrence in Genesis 44.23, when Joseph says, Except your youngest brother, i.e. Benjamin, come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. Lo Tosipun recalls the second etiology for Joseph's name in Genesis 30:24 and its anticipation of Benjamin. Moreover, the Joseph cycle evidences a third dimension of wordplay on Joseph, a paranomasia involving Yosep and Pasim, consonantally YWSP and PSYM. Moshe Garcia writes, quote, The word here translated striped, Pasim, KJV, of many colors, also constitutes a pun of some novelty upon Joseph, YWSP, Yod, Vav, Samek, Pe, of which it is nearly an anagram. Close quote. Although Garcil's anagram relies entirely on the orthographic similarity between YWSP and PSYM, rather than on any evident root relationship between the two words, the words nevertheless have three of four consonants in common in their written forms. In terms of their pronunciation, Yosep and Pasim share enough alliterative sound similarity to reasonably and cautiously posit a deliberate wordplay. Add to that the sheer rarity of the term PSYM, attested only five times and only in the Joseph and Tamar stories, seems to suggest its paranomastic relatability to YWSP, constituted a primary consideration in its narrative inclusion by the ancient author or narrator. This putative wordplay on Joseph in terms of Pasim stands at the head of the paranomasia used throughout Joseph's cycle and leads to the subsequent wordplay on Yosep in terms of Yasap. Now Israel loved Joseph, Yosep, more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat, Ketonet, of many colors, Pasim. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more, while Yosipu owed. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more, while Yosipu owed, for his dreams and for his words. Genesis 37, 3-8 Here the ambiguous and virtually untranslatable word Pasim, forming a paranomastic pun on Yosep, makes the code a symbol of Jacob's preferential love for Joseph, and for the latter's favored status, which becomes the source of the brothers adding, while Yosipu owed, to hate Joseph. The KJV's English-language rendering of Pasim as of many colors owes its precise phraseology to John Wycliffe, who rendered the Latin Vulgate's tunicam polymetan, i.e. a tunic woven with multicolored threads, as coat of many colors. William Tyndall was content to retain this phrase in his translation from the Hebrew, and later translations followed suit. 
The Vulgate owes its rendition to the Septuagint, which in turn renders Hebrew pasim with the Greek adjective poikilos, which can mean many-colored or variegated. The Septuagint thus constitutes the source of our traditional reading code of many colors. However, the adjective poikilos also, quote, pertains to existence in various kinds or modes, close quote, and thus can also mean diversified, manifold. In other words, another and perhaps better translation for Keternet Pasim might be coat of diverse pieces or a coat of manifold pieces. The idea that Joseph's Keternet Pasim was in fact a garment originally composed of diverse or manifold parts sewn or stitched together finds interesting and perhaps significant support in Moroni's statement, Joseph, whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces, Alma 46.23. While Ephraim A. Spicer favored, quote, an ornamented tunic, the idea of wraparound garment, the overlapping layers of which seem like tablets, cf. punic pe samech, tablet, finds philological support at least as strong as the former. A derivation from Akkadian pasamu, pusamu, verb to veil, adjective veiled, seems unlikely and Ugaritic PSM offers no help since its meaning remains uncertain. The subsequent twofold repetition of the idiom Wayosipu Ode builds on the Yosep Pasim wordplay and re-emphasizes the connection between the name Joseph and his coat, even as it hints at Joseph's imminent suffering at his brother's hands. Later in the pericope, the Yosep Pasim resurfaces when the brothers act on their added or redoubled hatred. Quote, and it came to pass when Joseph, Yosep, was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph, Yosep, of his coat, his coat, Keternet, of many colors, Pasim, that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. Genesis 37, 23-24 The removal of the coat symbolizes Joseph's forced loss of status and, in a real sense, the loss of his former identity. As Joseph was sold into slavery into a foreign country, Josephites of later generations, including Lehi and Nephi and their family, would have appreciated this particular moment in light of their own experiences and circumstances, going into exile into foreign countries. Near the end of his life, Jacob described the Nephites in autobiographic terms and in terms of the fraternal hatred in the Joseph story, as, quote, a lonesome and a solemn people, Wanderers cast out from Jerusalem, born in tribulation in a wilderness, and hated of our brethren, which caused wars and contentions. Wherefore we did mourn out our days. Jacob 7.26 The final instance of wordplay on Yosep and Pasim occurs with the brother's deceptive presentation of Joseph's coat to his father as ostensible evidence of the former's death. Quote, and they took Joseph's coat, Keternet Yosep, and killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, Keternet HaPasim, and they brought it to their father, and said, This we have found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it, and said, It is my son's coat, Keternet Beni. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Tarop Torap Yosep. And Jacob rent, Wayikra, his clothes, and put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. Genesis 37, 31-33. The parallel syntax at the beginning of verse 31, and they took Joseph's coat, Keternet Yosep, and verse 32, and they sent the coat of many colors, Keternet HaPasim, strengthens the case for a deliberate paranomastic connection between the name Joseph and the description of his coat. Joseph's coat as a metonymy of Joseph himself is further established by the exclamations Keternet Beni and Tarop Torap Yosep. Thus, Joseph's father rending his clothes seemingly amounts to more than an act of mourning. He reenacts what he believes to have befallen his son. The Coat and the Remnant of Joseph at first glance, Moroni's tearing of his coat appears to constitute something of an ad hoc means of rallying his people. And it came to pass that when he had poured out his soul to God, he gave all the land which was south of the land desolation, 
yea, and in fine, all the land, both on the north and on the south, a chosen land, and the land of liberty. And he saith, Surely God shall not suffer that we who are despised because we take upon us the name of Christ shall be trodden down and destroyed until we bring it upon us by our own transgressions. And when Moroni had said these words, he went forth among the people, waving the rent of his garment in the air, that all might see the writing which he had wrote upon the rent, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Behold, whosoever will maintain this title upon the land, let them come forth in the strength of the Lord, and enter into a covenant they will maintain their rights and their religion, that the Lord God may bless them. And it came to pass that when Moroni had proclaimed these words, behold, the people came running together with their armors girded about their loins, rending their garments in token or as a covenant that they would not forsake the Lord their God. Or in other words, if they should transgress the commandments of God or fall into transgression and be ashamed to take upon them the name of Christ, the Lord should rend them even as they had rent their garments. Now this was the covenant which they made. And they cast their garments at the feet of Moroni, saying, We covenant with our God, that we shall be destroyed even as our brethren in the land northward, if we shall fall into transgression. Yea, he may cast us at the feet of our enemies, even as we have cast our garments at thy feet, to be trodden underfoot, if we shall fall into transgression. Alma 46.17-22 However, Moroni's words and actions quickly emerge as much more than a mere attempt to rally the troops. Moroni's giving the land a chosen land and the land of liberty recalls at least three distinct scenes from earlier Nephite history. In a speech to his sons before his death, Lehi had declared that the land would, quote, be a land of liberty, close quote, to all those whom the Lord would bring, and would, quote, serve him according to the commandments which he hath given, 2 Nephi 1.7. It also recalls a later speech by Jacob after Lehi's death and the separation of the Lamanites from the Nephites, in which Jacob states, quote, And this land shall be a land of liberty unto the Gentiles, Hebrew Goyim, nations. And there shall be no kings upon the land who shall raise up unto the Gentiles, nations, 2 Nephi 10.11. These sermons were important in light of the others, i.e. the non-Israelites, whom Lehi and his descendants must have encountered in the New World, but also because of the remnant of the seed of Joseph who would exist among the Gentiles in the latter day. Some time ago, Mark J. Morris noted the simile curses Moroni uses in Alma 46.21-22, with the people symbolically rending their garments in token of what would happen to them if they failed to keep the covenant which they made. In the text that follows, Moroni makes the story of Joseph's Cody kind of historical prologue to the simile curse covenant under which his people subsequently bind themselves. Moroni declares to his soldiers and followers that they are a remnant of the seed of Joseph, and proceeds to tell a part of the story that has been lost from the extant canonical version of the Joseph story, Genesis 37-50. Moroni said unto them, Behold, we are a remnant of the seed of Jacob. Yea, we are a remnant of the seed of Joseph, whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces. Yea, and now behold, let us remember to keep the commandments of God, or our garments shall be rent by our brethren, and we be cast into prison, or be sold, or be slain. Yea, let us preserve our liberty as a remnant of Joseph. Yea, let us remember the words of Jacob before his death. For behold, he saw that a part of the remnant of the coat of Joseph, Kirenet Yosemp, Genesis 37:31 was preserved and had not decayed. And he saith, Even as this remnant of garment of my sons hath been preserved, so shall a remnant of the seed of my son be preserved by the hand of God and be taken unto himself, while the remainder of the seed of Joseph shall perish even as the remnant of his garment. Now behold, this giveth my soul sorrow. Nevertheless, my soul hath joy in my son because of that part of his seed which shall be taken unto God. Now behold, this was the language of Jacob. And now, who knoweth but what the remnant of the seed of Joseph which shall perish as his garment are those who have descended from us? Alma 46, 23-27 Understanding Joseph's coat and its rents, or rent pieces, 
as having a tribal or gentilic reference finds an excellent analogue in the rending of the cloak in 1 Kings 11.29-31 and the prophet Abijah's rending of Jeroboam's new garment. Quote, and it came to pass at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way, and he, ambiguous but probably Jeroboam, had clad himself with a new garment, and they two were alone in the field, and Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him, and rent, Wayikra'eha, it in twelve pieces, Keraim, literally twelve rents. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, Keraim. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend, Hinani Korea, the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. Close quote. Consistent with his understanding of the symbolism of the Joseph story as a whole, and Jacob's prophecy in particular, Moroni offers the description of the tearing or rending of Joseph's coat, which he implicitly understands as a metaphor of what will happen to the body of Joseph's descendants. Quote, Joseph, whose coat was rent, Nikra, by his brethren into many pieces, Karaim, Alma 46.23. Moroni knew all too well that the Nephites of his time risked being torn by our brethren in a manner similar to Joseph's Keronet Pasim because of covenant infidelity. The Nephites of Moroni's time were then a part of the remnant of Joseph or the remainder of the seed of Joseph that had yet to perish, which may mean to experience exile in the sense of losing the knowledge of one's historical identity as the Lamanites and the Nephites who survive among them do later. For Mormon, compiling the record hundreds of years later, Moroni's emotive image of descendants of Joseph being torn by their brethren had become prophecy fulfilled before his own eyes. In Moroni's words, quote, Our garments shall be rent by our brethren, and we be cast into prison, or sold, or be slain. There seems to be a tacit recognition that Joseph the Patriarch had unjustly suffered the consequences of covenant violation that his descendants would justly suffer if they failed to faithfully keep to the covenant that they had made with God, i.e., as Joseph had remained faithful. Joseph's biography and the story of his coat thus became part of the simile curse in the covenant, to be rent by brethren, cast into prison, or be sold if not slain. Alma 46.23 A verb translated preserve occurs four times in Alma 46.24, as part of Moroni's use of the preservation of a remnant of Joseph, and the remnant of the coat of Joseph, as a simile for the preservation of the Nephites' liberty as part of the remnant of Joseph. A verb translated preserve occurs twenty times throughout the allegory of Jacob 5, expressive of the Lord of the vineyard's intent to preserve the fruit and trees of his vineyard. There's an interesting and potentially significant connection to be drawn here between Moroni's intent to preserve the Nephites and their liberty as part of the preserved remnant of Joseph, symbolized by the metaphor of the remnant of the coat of Joseph, and the Lord of the Vineyard's intent to preserve the good fruit, cf. Nephi, Egyptian NFR, good, oft stated in the allegory in terms of the Yosip idiom, to do something again. In two verses, these ideas closely converge. The Lord of the Vineyard asks his servant, What shall we do unto the tree, that I may preserve again good fruit thereof unto mine own self? Jacob 5.33 Later he declares, And because I have preserved the natural branches and the roots thereof, and I have grafted in the natural branches again into their mother tree, and have preserved the roots of their mother tree, that perhaps the trees of my vineyard may bring forth again good fruit, and that I may have joy again in the fruit of my vineyard, and perhaps that I may rejoice exceedingly that I have preserved the roots and the branches of the first fruit. Jacob 5.60 The allegory concludes with the report that as a result of the efforts of the servants, the Lord of the vineyard, quote, had preserved unto himself that the trees had become again the natural fruit. Jacob 5.74 the Lord of the vineyard subsequently declares, And thou beholdest that I have done according to my will, and I have preserved the natural fruit, that it is good, even like as it was at the beginning. And blessed art thou, for because that ye have been diligent in laboring with me in my vineyard, and have kept my commandments, and it hath brought unto me again the natural fruit, 
that my vineyard is no more corrupted, and the bad is cast away. Behold, ye shall have joy with me. Jacob 5, 74-75 Moroni's use of the remnant of the coat of Joseph as a symbol of divine preservation and Zenith's allegory as related by Jacob share another significant link. Jacob frames Zenith's allegory in terms of Isaiah 11, 11-12 and the gathering of Israel. Quote, and in the day that he shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover his people, quoting Isaiah 11:11, 11, 11, is the day, yea, even the last time, that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard. And after that the end soon cometh, Jacob 6:2. Moroni uses his coat as a parallel to the coat of Joseph, hoisted atop a pole, standard, or ensign, i.e. the Hebrew nace that we meet in Isaiah 11.12, as the means of gathering and assembling the remnant of Judah-Israel. The gathering standard or ensign to the nations, Moroni's use of Isaiah 11.11-12. The ideological association between the name Joseph and gathering, Asap, occurs in Mormon's account of Captain Moroni and the title of liberty, in several subtle instances. The entire pericope revolves around the account of Joseph's coat. It begins with Mormon stating that members of the church rebelled against Helaman's authority. Quote, and it came to pass that as many as would not hearken to the words of Helaman and his brethren were gathered together against their brethren. Close quote. Although the Nephites at this period of time also included the Judahite descendants of Mulek, and were probably also descended in part from others, the Nephites primarily identified themselves as descendants of Joseph in Egypt. Mormon's use of gather begins to frame what follows as a Josephite versus Josephite conflict. Kerry Hall has shown at length that Moroni's use of the title of liberty, or standard of liberty, see below, fits well within a Mesoamerican context in which war banners enjoyed widespread use, and that the title or standard functioned as such. Nevertheless, just as Moroni invokes a scriptural precedent in the covenant use of his rent coat, he also appears to have scriptural precedent in mind in his use of what is rendered in translation as a pole or standard. One of the most prominent motifs in the book of Isaiah is the image of ensign, Isaiah 5.26, 11.10 and 12, 18.3, 30.17 and 31.9, standard, Isaiah 49.22, 59.19, or banner, Isaiah 13.2, all expressions of the Hebrew noun nace in English translation. In addition to ensign, standard, or banner, another way of rendering Hebrew nace is pole, as the KJV translators opted to translate it in the bronze serpent pericope of Numbers 21. Quote, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, nace, i.e. a standard. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bidden, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, nace. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Numbers 21, 8-9 The first instances of the nace theme in the book of Isaiah all involve a nace being lifted up to the goyim, nations, Gentiles. And he will lift an ensign, nace, to the nations, la goyim, from far, and will hiss unto them from the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. Isaiah 5.26. This passage is usually understood to have reference to the destruction of Israel and Judah, while the following have reference to Israel and Judah's gathering. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign, nace, of the people. To it shall the Gentiles, goyim, seek. Isaiah 11.10-11. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover the remnant of his people, and he shall set up an ensign, nace, for the nations, Lagoim, and shall assemble, Weasap, the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The strongest evidence that Nephi considered these Isaiah nace passages related to the bronze serpent and the nace upon which it was raised is his use of the expression the nations, Hebrew Goyim which occurs in 2 Nephi 25.20, 20, 
And as the Lord God liveth that brought Israel up out of the land of Egypt, and gave unto Moses power that he should heal the nations, Hebrew Hakoyim, after they had been bitten by the poisonous serpents, if they would cast their eyes unto the serpent which he did raise before them, Second Nephi 25.20. Nephi had quoted Isaiah 11.11 and 29.14 together in Second Nephi 25.17, and would describe the fulfillment of these prophecies as fulfilling the promises made to Joseph in Second Nephi 25.21. In 2 Nephi 25.20, however, the expression, the nations, clearly has reference to the tribes of Israel rather than simply non-Israelites. There exists at least one possible precedent for this use of goyim in the Isaiahic corpus itself. Isaiah 9.1, Masoretic Text 8.23, 2 Nephi 19.1, describes Galilee as, quote, Galilee of the nations, Galil HaGoyim. The bronze serpent on the nace, pole, in Numbers 21, and the Isaiahic nace theme, provides the conceptual framework for Mormon's account of Moroni's creation of the pole, or standard, nace, in response to Amalickiah and the Lamanite threat. And it came to pass that he rent his coat, and he took a piece thereof and wrote upon it, In memory of our God, our religion, and freedom, and our peace, our wives, and our children. And he fastened it upon the end of a pole, Hebrew nace, thereof. And he fastened on his headplate and his breastplate and his shields, and girded on his armor about his loins. And he took the pole, nace, which had on the end thereof his rent coat, and he called it the title of liberty. And he bowed himself to the earth, and he prayed mightily unto his God for the blessings of liberty to rest upon his brethren so long as there should a band of Christians remain to possess the land. Alma 46, 12-13 The idea that Joseph's Keterneth Pasim was a kind of wraparound garment, the overlapping layers of which seemed like tablets, cf. Punic Pei Samich, tablet, or at least the idea of the stitched pieces as writing tablets, may have suggested to Moroni I the written-on banner function in which he used his coat. But Moroni appears to have also received inspiration from Isaiah 11, 10-12, and perhaps the other Isaiah Nace texts, Isaiah 5.26, 49.22, etc. Mormon initially reports that Moroni called his pole, with its ad hoc banner, the title of liberty, Alma 46.13. However, at least twice the language used to describe it shifts to the expression standard of liberty. The first occurs as Moroni disseminates his initial title of liberty in the form of many duplicates, quote, and it came to pass also that he caused the title of liberty to be hoisted upon every tower which was in all the land, which was possessed by the Nephites. And thus Moroni planted the standard of liberty among the Nephites. Alma 46.36 The second occurs in Alma 62.4-6. See below. Moroni's gathering of the remnant of the seed of Joseph. On one level, what follows Moroni's rendition of an otherwise unknown part of the biblical narrative regarding Joseph's coat clearly represents an ad hoc interpretation and application of that story. Quote, and now who knoweth but what the remnant of the seed of Joseph, Yosep, which shall perish as his garment, are those who have descended from us? Yea, even it shall be us if we do not stand fast in the faith of Christ. And now it came to pass that when Moroni had said these words, he went forth, and also sent forth in all the parts of the land where there were dissensions, and gathered together, cf. Hebrew weasap, all the people who were desirous to maintain their liberty, to stand against Amalickiah and those who had dissented, who were called Amalickiahites. Alma 46, 27-28 On another level, Mormon's inclusion of Moroni's statement looks forward on the end of Nephite civilization when the Nephite remnant of Joseph did not stand fast in the faith of Christ and became the part of Joseph's garment that perished in that story. At this point, Mormon notes that Moroni attempted to gather together all those who wished to be counted among the faithful remnant of the seed of Joseph, vis-à-vis the dissenting unfaithful. The emphasis on gathering together here echoes the name Joseph and the initial literary ideologizing of the name in the terms of the verb asap, take away, gather. 
Mormon also emphasizes that those willing to gather bound themselves together by a covenant. Quote, Moroni thought it was expedient that he should take his armies, which had gathered themselves together, and armed themselves, and entered into a covenant to keep the peace. And it came to pass that he took his army and marched out with his tents into the wilderness to cut off the course of Malachiah in the wilderness. Alma 46.31 Moroni's second gathering of a remnant of the seed of Joseph to the standard of liberty. Moroni proliferates the gathering by replicating the title of liberty and causing it to be hoisted upon every tower. Alma 46.36 Mormon then alters the appellation title of liberty in a way that links it firmly to the Nace text of Isaiah. Quote, and thus Moroni planted the standard of liberty among the Nephites. Alma 46.36 Years later, near the end of the war, Mormon reports that Moroni continued to pursue a policy of replicating the standard of liberty, again using a deliberate wording change from title of liberty, and thus continued to promote the gathering of a remnant of the seed of Joseph. Alma 64, 4-6 And he did raise the standard of liberty in whatsoever place he did enter, and gained, while ye can, whatsoever force he could in all his march toward the land of Gideon. And it came to pass that thousands did flock unto his standard, i.e., of the remnant of the seed of Joseph, and did take up their swords in the defense of their freedom, that they might not come into bondage. And thus, when Moroni had gathered together whatsoever many could in all his march, he came to the land of Gideon. Isaiah 5.26 and 11.11-12, Second 11 Nephi 21, 11-12. And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from afar, and will hiss unto them from the ends of the earth. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. Isaiah 5.26 And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time, to recover Liknot, literally to gain or reacquire, the remnant of his people. And he shall set up, Wenasa, raise up, lift up, an ensign, Nase, Standard, as in Isaiah 49.22, for the nations. See, a standard unto my people, Second Nephi 29.2. And shall assemble, where Asap, and shall gather in the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah 11.11-12, Second Nephi 21.11-12. In detailing Moroni's use of the standard of liberty, Mormon seems aware of the similarities or parallels between Moroni's actions and Isaiah's description of the Lord's use of the ensign or standard, Hebrew nays, in Isaiah 5.26 and 11.11-12. Moroni's raising the standard corresponds to the Lord lifting the ensign, or setting up an ensign. Moroni's using the nays to gain, while you can, and he gained, his force, composed of a remnant of the seed of Joseph, corresponds to the Lord using the nays to recover, leak note, literally to gain or acquire the remnant of his people. The response to Moroni's raising a nace was that, quote, thousands had flock unto his standard, close quote, matching the non-Israelite martial response to the Lord's lifted up ensign in Isaiah 5.26, they shall come with speed swiftly, i.e. the martial response of Israel's enemies. The result of Moroni's nace activity here in Alma 62, as earlier in Alma 46, was that Moroni successfully gathered together a faithful remnant of the seed of Joseph, just as the Lord would one day set his hand again, Yosip, and assemble, Weasop, and gather together the remnant of his people, i.e., the outcasts of Israel and the dispersed of Judah. A remnant of the seed of Joseph preserved, the legacy of Joseph's coat and Moroni's use of Isaiah 11, 11-12. Mormon recognized that Moroni's use of the brass plate's account of Joseph's coat had implications not only for the Lehites of the latter's time, but also prophetic implications for the Lehites of later generations. As far as we know, Moroni was the first to use the collocation remnant of the seed of Jacob, see below. And he derives the collocation a remnant of the seed of Joseph from Alma 46.23. We are a remnant of the seed of Jacob. Yea, we are a remnant of the seed of Joseph, whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces. C.F. Alma 46.27 The preservation of Joseph's remnant constitutes one of the most important prophetic implications of the story of Joseph's coat. 
Quote, Even as this remnant of garment of my sons hath been preserved, so shall a remnant of the seed of my son be preserved by the hand of God, and be taken unto himself, while the remainder of the seed of Joseph shall perish, even as the remnant of his garment. Alma 46.24 Mormon's use of the collocations a remnant of the seed of Jacob and a remnant of the seed of Joseph harks back to Moroni's recounting of the narrative of Joseph's coat and the title or standard of liberty. Here, too, the echoes of Isaiah 11, 11 through 12 are strong. Quote, Surely he hath blessed the house of Jacob, and hath been merciful unto the seed of Joseph, Yosep. And inasmuch as the children of Lehi have kept his commandments, he hath blessed them, and prospered them according to his word. Yea, and surely shall he again, cf. Hebrew Yosep, bring a remnant of the seed of Joseph, Yosep, to the knowledge of the Lord their God. And as surely as the Lord liveth, will he gather in, cf. Hebrew, Weasap, Yasep, from the four quarters of the earth, all the remnant of the seed of Jacob, which are scattered abroad upon all the face of the earth. And as he hath covenanted with all the house of Jacob, even so shall the covenant wherewith he hath covenanted with the house of Jacob be fulfilled in his own due time unto the restoring of all the house of Jacob unto the knowledge of the covenant that he hath covenanted with them. And then shall they know their Redeemer, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then shall they be gathered in, cf. Hebrew, weasepu en, from the four quarters of the earth unto their own lands, from whence they have been dispersed. Yea, as the Lord liveth, so shall it be. Amen. 3 Nephi 5, 21-26 Indeed, footnote A to 3 Nephi 5.23 in the 1981 and 2013 Latter-day Saint editions of the Book of Mormon direct the reader back to Moroni's use of the phrase, a remnant of the seed of Joseph. In Alma 46.23, Mormon's linking of the children of Lehi to that remnant here suggests that his view of the remnant of the seed of Joseph already extends beyond his own people, the Nephites, and includes the Lamanites. Moreover, Mormon echoes the gathering language of Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, where the prophet describes the ensign, or standard, nace, as the signal to gather. Mormon explicitly returns to the brass plate's account of Joseph's coat as part of his narrative bridge from the cataclysmic events of 3 Nephi 8 through 10 to the ministry of the resurrected Christ to the Nephites and Lamanites in 3 Nephi 11:26. He states, quote, Behold, our father Jacob also testified concerning a remnant of the seed of Joseph. And behold, are not we a remnant of the seed of Joseph? And these things which testifies of us, are they not written upon the plates of brass which our father Lehi brought out of Jerusalem? 3 Nephi 10.27 Mormon's placement of this statement at this point in the narrative is significant especially in view of Jesus' recorded description of the Lamanites and Nephites who survived the cataclysmic events of 3 Nephi 8.10 as, quote, remnant of the house of Joseph, 3 Nephi 15.12. But also in view of the tragic state of the Nephites and Lamanites when Mormon is writing and compiling his account, C.E.G. Mormon 5.8-20. Up to a point, Mormon had held out hope that the Nephites, quote, would again, C.F. Hebrew Yosipu, become a righteous people, Mormon 2.12. Instead, they became part of the perishing part of Joseph's seed, as symbolized by the perishing part of Joseph's coat, while the Lamanites and dissenting Nephites would be preserved so, quote, that they shall again, cf. Hebrew Yosipu, be brought to the true knowledge, which is the knowledge of their Redeemer, and be numbered among his sheep. Helaman 15.13. See also Helaman 15.11 and 15.16. Conclusion. The paranomasia between Joseph's torn Keternet Pasim and the name Yosep, together with Jacob's prophecy regarding the preservation of, quote, a part of the remnant of the coat of Joseph, close quote, as a type of remnant of the seed of Joseph, appears to have suggested to Moroni I his covenant use of a torn part, rent, of his own coat as a symbol of his people, as that remnant. Isaiah's prophecy of the Lord setting his hand again, Yosip, to recover the remnant of his people, using martial imagery, including that of a battle ensign, or standard, nace, to assemble, weasap, or gather, that remnant, provided a scriptural paradigm for Moroni hoisting his rent coat on a standard in a Nephite martial context.
Moreover, Mormon recognized in Moroni I's use of the standard, or ensign, to gather a remnant of the seed of Joseph, a type or foreshadowing of the latter-day gathering of the descendants of Joseph. Moroni uses a nace as a covenant means of gathering and thus preserving a, quote, remnant of the seed of Joseph, Alma 46, 23, and 27, most of which would ironically perish centuries later at the hands of the Lamanites, who also constituted a remnant of the seed of Joseph. Mormon, who had named his beloved son after this military leader, whom he clearly admired, and who had watched his nation perish during his own time, would not have missed this irony. At his death, Mormon left it to his son, Moroni II, to complete the written record that would itself become the figurative written standard or ensign to gather the Lamanite, remnant of the seed of Joseph, in the Lord's own due time. As Isaiah and Mormon knew, the Lord would set his hand again, Yosip, the second time, to gather the remnant of his people, Israel. Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, 2 Nephi 25, 17, and 29, 1. And that, quote, surely he shall again, C.F. Yosip, bring a remnant of the seed of Joseph to the knowledge of the Lord their God. 3 Nephi 5.23 The author would like to thank Susie Bowen, Jeff Lindsay, Alan Wyatt, Victor Worth, Don Norton, Tanya Spackman, and Daniel C. Peterson. Matthew L. Bowen was raised in Orem, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an Associate Professor in Religious Education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He is also the author of Name as Key Word, Collected Essays on Onomastic Wordplay and the Temple in Mormon Scripture, Salt Lake City, Interpreter Foundation, and Eborn Books, 2018. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blattberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of We Are a Remnant of the Seed of Joseph, Roni's interpretive use of Joseph's coat and the martial nace imagery of Isaiah 11, 11-12, by Matthew Bowen, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 40, 2020, read by Victor Worth. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed. If it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are accredited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles on Latter-day Saint scripture can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.